0: All right, there we go. All right, everybody, welcome to the latest podcast here with Chad Dakota. My special guest today is registered nurse extraordinaire, Miss Sherry Schmidt.
1: Sherry, Hi, welcome sir. to the show. How are you doing? Thank
0: you. I'll apologize in advance for you. but The humidity has been atrocious today, so my hair is just a wreck. <laughs> I uh, brushed it three different times, and it's just not. It's almost like I got a perm without ever having to go through the treatment. You know, it's good. It's gorgeous. <laughs> well, at least my mother thinks so, but she gave birth <laughs> to me, so she's got to think that way, right?
1: Not necessarily.
0: <laughs> how is your day going so far?
1: Um, it's going okay, Perfect. besides taking care of kids well, and getting ready for work.
0: You know, kids, 30 seconds of enjoyment and 25 years of misery. That's how it goes, you know? Basically. <laughs> so uh, let's start off slow. Were are you uh, like a born and raised Michigander, or are you from somewhere outside of this? Uh, some people might say wonderful state. I'll say this peninsula that we're trapped on.
1: Uh, no, not from Michigan. I moved up here when I was sixteen. My parents were in the service, so I was actually born in North Dakota. Oh
0: wow, North Dakota! You got mm-hmm. all—you only got ten fingers and toes, right? <laughs>
1: Only, yes. I mean, I
0: heard the water's a little weird out there, you know. So, well,
1: you know, <laughs> between California, Texas, Colorado, and now Michigan.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. That's kind of a cool. I mean, probably sucked to have to move that much, but uh, at least you got more exposure than just the, uh, the great state of Michigan.
1: Exactly. Makes me appreciate Michigan all the more.
0: <laughs> Somebody has to, I guess, right?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Both of your parents were in the military?
1: Yes, both were in the Air Force. Oh,
0: Air Force. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: okay. Um, so, was like Michigan like their last stop? Like, are you talking Selfridge type of Michigan thing or?
1: Uh, no, my dad was actually born and raised here and um, wanted to come back. So, we moved up here. He took a job as an engineer. And then my mom is also a nurse.
0: Oh, okay. I see. So mm. you you finished uh, your formative years of high school in Michigan, did you? Uh,
1: just one, senior year.
0: Oh, God, that had to be great, walking into a high school.
1: Awful. <laughs> it was absolutely awful. <laughs> but I survived.
0: Well, that's good. That's good. So you survived your senior year in high school in Michigan, and then where did your journey take you from there?
1: Um. Well... I originally was going to school for business management and economics. That was my dual major at Eastern, and then went through an EMT class my senior year of high school, loved it, went on to become a paramedic, loved that, and then went through fire one and two, got my certificate for that, and then started working.
0: Wow. So did you actually work like uh, at an actual fire department for any kind of time? Really?
1: Yeah, it was uh, paid on call, Lyon Township Fire Department, and then I worked as a paramedic for Huron Valley Ambulance.
0: Oh, okay. So did you spend most of your ambulance time like uh, Oakland, Washtenaw County area?
1: Yeah, the majority was Washtenaw. Um I started at our south line station up in Oakland County, but the majority of my time was in Washtenaw County.
0: Oh, wow. So do, where did you go to the Fire Academy at?
1: Pittsfield Township Fire Department.
0: Oh, okay. So you did like a uh, like an in-house fire academy thing?
1: I did. The chief, um, among other instructors, but was the primary one that taught our class.
0: Okay. Yeah, my, my second oldest son actually did that. Uh, I guess it's been about two years now. So he did that down here. And, and then he got some crazy hellbent idea that he wanted to uh, join a police department. So I've been actively trying to talk him out of it since, but it seems like I'm talking to a brick wall, but
1: yeah, that's what kids are like, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't help that he's, his personality is very similar to mine and you know, I can, I can be very similar to talking to a brick wall from time to time myself. So.
1: Can't imagine, can't imagine at all.
0: <laughs> so how long did you, uh, actually, uh, hump runs on, a, on an ambulance?
1: Uh, let's see. I worked on the road as a paramedic for five years and then left and went to the emergency room.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So five years of shagging patients. How is your lumbar?
1: Uh, you know, sore every day, but that's <laughs> what happens with this work.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know that many people realize how many, uh, public safety employees have
1: back problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: My, like I, uh, the last time I was at the chiropractor, uh, I'm down to, uh, from L1 to L5. Right? They're only about a quarter of the thickness that they're supposed to be. So, yeah, you know, 24 years of uh, in and out of a car with a bulletproof vest and 30 pounds on your waist, you know, it's. I'm sure that 40 pounds hanging over the front of my waist isn't necessarily helping my cause so much. But, uh, <laughs>
1: no comment about mine.
0: I, I just can't seem to convince myself that walking on a treadmill for 45 minutes is an enjoyable time. I. I That's almost so think I, I, almost think I need to get hypnotized. You know, like if I just ring a bell and all of a sudden I get up there and then I don't know, maybe I get a Snickers after I'm done as a treat or something. I don't <laughs> know.
1: <laughs> Counterproductive, I think.
0: Yeah. So you started in the ER as just like a, a as a paramedic, right? I did. And how long did you uh, did you do that for?
1: Let's see. So, I've been in the ER now almost 15 years, and the first 11 were as a paramedic, and then the last going on four has been as a nurse.
0: So, obviously, you decided to go back to school to become an RN, correct? I did. Now, was that, like, I don't want to say a split-second decision, but, like, did you have to kind of chew on that for a while, just the aspect of going back to school while working a full-time job?
1: I definitely had to put a lot of thought into it. I am a single mom, so going any big decision like that is not an easy one. So I had to juggle working full-time to pay the bills and taking care of my kids and school full-time, which was not easy. So it definitely wasn't a a decision made lightly, but it was one that needed to be made. So
0: yeah, and I'm sure for probably what the better part of 24 months sleep was probably at a premium for you i would think right yeah
1: there was no
0: sleep yeah unfortunately for people like us the job kind of frowns on a little bump of cocaine every so often to keep you moving you know so yeah
1: you know just a tad yeah
0: yeah yeah they they they, uh they seem to really not take too kindly to those kind of things for some not so much reason you know So did you go through, uh, like, uh, did you go to Schoolcraft for that, or Madonna, or where did you end up doing that at?
1: No, so I did, there's an accelerated program, one of the accelerated programs in the state of Michigan is through St. Clair Community College, and it's for people that are already licensed paramedics or respiratory therapists,
0: so instead of it
1: being a typical program that would be two plus years, they cram everything into about 16 months.
0: Oh, wow. Now, were you lucky enough to do that online or did you have to go? I mean, I understand you have to go to like hospital settings to do clinicals and stuff like right. that. But like, majority,
1: stuff? yeah, the majority of it was online. We had to drive out there for certain tests and then lab and clinicals. So it okay. was still a lot of driving, but now, necessary.
0: And so now you've been functioning as a nurse now for four years, you said?
1: Almost four years. Yeah, it'll be four years um, in May.
0: So in your opinion, great decision or not so much?
1: Honestly, one of my coworkers asked me this the other day. As a paramedic, I'm glad that I did this. If I had to do it all over again and take the choice between my being a medic and a nurse versus business management economics, I would never do it again. Really? (laughs) I mean, there are are certain parts of it that I enjoy, and I'm thankful for the experience, but overall, I would not have chosen it again.
0: You know, sometimes I sit back, because I started Detroit's Police Academy, and I was 21 years old, you know, and I sit back sometimes, and I think to myself, if I would have never made that decision, and I would have gotten like, I guess you could say a regular job. I wonder not only how different my life would be, but how much different I would actually be able to look at society as a whole. Because even, like, even if I hung it up tomorrow and was done with police work forever, everything that I know and you know, and all the people like us know about what's lingering just under the surface in society, it's not like I can retire tomorrow and just turn that switch off and go back to the way it used to be, you know?
1: No, and that's one of the things that this job definitely changes you between, you know, being a medic and doing fire. And I was an instructor for a while, and then a medic in the hospital and a nurse. That That is not something that you can punch out and leave your job at work. It's something yeah. that you carry with you 24-7. And so definitely that. And like you said, you never look at society the same way again. I cannot look at people the same way after seeing what they've done to each other or the way that they treat other people, that that never leaves you, unfortunately. So no. I agree with that.
0: Well, and it becomes so second nature. Like for me, <laughs> this was about two years ago, I was out to dinner with my mother and we're just sitting there talking and she got so pissed at me because I'm fully involved in the conversation answering and asking back and forth. I hear everything she's saying, but I never look at her once because I'm too busy paying attention to everything room. else going around. And she's like, damn it, will you look at me? Why are you being so rude? And I'm like, all right, my look, you got to understand, okay? <laughs> and she just, you know, she kind of gets it. But, you know, I grew up in a small town up in the Thumb, so, and my mother and stepfather still live up there. So, like I remember when I first started working in Detroit, There'd be some sort of crazy stuff that worked, that happened on the east side. and I worked down in southwest Detroit. So I get home from work at 8.30, and there'd be a message, Chad, it's your mother, call me, you know, because that was back before everybody had cell phones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I know our kids would be like, what? <laughs> you know, I so know. I'd, I'd call, yeah, we were watching the news over coffee this morning, and this and this happened on Gratiot. Did you know those guys? And I'm like, Ma, listen, <laughs> there's 5,000 of us. I don't know everybody. It's, you know... But it, 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 it I, I know. It, even to this day, she still worries every day that I go to work. Even though I'm still, I'm not working in Detroit anymore. But it, you know, and she's probably never going to listen to this. So I can tell you this: I, she probably knows about an eighth, maybe an eighth of everything that uh, I've ever had to see and do out there. Because if she had it all, God, I don't. I mean, without the benefit of pharmaceuticals, I don't think she could sleep.
1: Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. But that's one of those things, too, that (coughs) you end up relying on your coworkers or people that are in the same line of work, you know, our fellow police officers or paramedics or nurses, firefighters, and you have to use them as your... um, you know, the, the ones that help you to be able to sleep at night, because otherwise you can't have these conversations with people that are not in this line of work because they don't understand. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm grateful for that. I wouldn't want people to have to see and hear the things that we have to experience at work.
0: Yeah. Although I will say this, I think, and I don't know that it would ever become a reality. Uh, but I think anybody that is going to run for an Occupy public office probably needs to be at least in a three-month internship in a police department, in a hospital setting, and in the back of an ambulance.
1: Without a doubt
0: that way when they want to get real creative about how they choose to criticize what it is that we do they have a little better understanding of what we're up against as opposed to just spouting off at the mouth to garner votes you know yeah like i said it, something like that's never going to never going to see the light.
1: it'll never happen but it's it's lovely to think that it might
0: <laughs> well that would also entail you know having a reasonable dialogue with someone that uh, is paid to represent us which is laughable so a single mom like um single mom the whole way through college
1: no not not like not like
0: right out of high school college like No. no
1: no Uh, no, actually. I did have a significant other while I was going through my associate's degree. Now that I'm going through my, my BSN, my bachelor's degree, no, it's just me. So okay. it's cool. now been a little bit different, the whole juggling, having really to take care of the kids and work full time and sure. balance school and everything. So it's definitely... It's not been easy, but now your
0: your kids aren't like terribly young like early elementary age, are they?
1: No, I have two teenage girls.
0: Oh, goodness sakes alive.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. I uh, like I almost feel compelled to just send you a bottle of premium tequila just because I know what you're up against. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> it's been it's been challenging.
0: <laughs> well, but at least Okay, and I have a 15-year-old that sometimes I think she thinks she's 32. But uh, uh, at least they can dress themselves, feed themselves. You like to think they can get up to an alarm clock every day without you checking on them, but that doesn't necessarily always seem to be the case. But at least you're not trying to continue to advance your education while you've got let's say worst case scenario, why you still got two in diapers or stuff like that, you know? Oh yeah.
1: It's much, much easier at this point with them being older than it was before. It's much easier (laughs) and they're very independent and self-sufficient children. So it makes it easier on me. Yeah.
0: That's still got to be quite a, I would say, Uh, like emotional and probably even at sometimes physical, a physical struggle to muscle your way through all of that while still holding down a full-time gig and quite frankly, managing all the different personalities that we're forced to manage just by being at work. You know, sometimes your coworkers can just wear your ass out.
1: (laughs) I'm actually lucky that My coworkers are really the ones that make work more tolerable. So we are a very tight knit group and the ability to laugh with them and rely on them when you're having a bad day is, is definitely the reason why I have been able to work in the ER as long as I have without just wanting to say (laughs) that I'm done and walk out. Just just
0: one of those epic meltdowns and squeal out of the parking lot never to come back.
1: Well, I've been close a few times, but.
0: Oh, listen, I'm there, I don't know, three, four, five, six times a month at least, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, they are definitely, that is the nice part. It's much different than you being a police officer where it's just you and your partner in the car, you in the car. Granted, you have your guys at the station too, but we are with our our coworkers, 12, 16 hours a day, depending on what shift you're working. And sure. most of us work crazy amounts of overtime. So you end up spending more time with them than you do with your family to yeah. so you get to know them very well.
0: Now I'll admit sometimes, you know, because when when I first left Detroit, I left in 2007, I actually had to get used to what it was like to ride solo because I've i never done that before. You know, in Detroit, the, the, it's a two-person car all the time. Now that I've been gone, let me see. Well, last month was 14 years I've been on to Detroit. So I actually enjoy being solo now. Like sometimes when everything else gets to be like a little too much, it's nice to be able to just kind of drive away from everything and just kind of have that moment to just kind of sort your own head out without sharing a car with somebody or arguing over what kind of radio station you want to listen to or what the hell you're going to eat that night or whatever the case may be. Sometimes it's 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 nice to just kind of disappear into the middle of uh, a neighborhood and just kind of exist for a few minutes, you know,
1: because it's... That makes sense.
0: Well, and, you know... Uh, in my situation probably very similar to yours there can be times where you're like looking at the clock like oh my god like there's still five hours to go jesus christ you know and then there's other times where you look at the clock and it's like it's only been a half hour and you're like god there's only three hours left what the hell you know yeah. and you know or i like for me you know you guys don't necessarily have that radio uh, in your ear all the time you're, you're kind of more controlled by what comes through the door but You know, it's, there's no, those nights where, you know, you're, you say whatever you got to say to, uh, okay, we're done with this run. And then they're like, all right, copy the next. And you're like, it's four o'clock in the morning. Why are these people not sleeping? What the, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's very similar to the ER. I remember when I first started ER, you know, by two o'clock in the morning, because I, I started on midnight shift by two o'clock in the morning, the ER would be empty and we wouldn't have maybe one or two patients trickle in. Over the next five to six hours, and it's it's changed drastically in the fourteen years I've been there, whereas now it is busy twenty four seven and we don't ever get a break. I can't tell you the last time I would say in the last year, I've had one day where I had a lunch break. that's it
0: wow
1: so and it's the same for for you guys. You don't necessarily get that regular break to where you can decompress and just sit for a while and get away from it all. And
0: especially where I work at because we're so short staffed that on the night shift, you know, uh, let's, okay, we work 12, so we work 15 days a month, probably 13 of those 15 days. There's only me and one other guy out there and that's it. So you don't get a break because you have to go to every call that comes in every night. Right. So you can't, like, you know, if it was normally like a full shift, each person could take their little meal break. And unless it was a major incident, the dispatcher really wouldn't bother you. But that doesn't really work now. And, you know, to complicate the situation even further, you know, the, the new generation that's coming up, and I think some, to a certain extent, kind of justifiably, they don't want anything to do with any of these public safety jobs no you know no. the government the, the government constantly <clears throat> takes things away and makes it harder to do the job while not really making it unless you really function on overtime well they, they make it difficult to to survive on you know like i think in, in where i work at god i think the starting wage for brand new guys is like 19 bucks an hour like If I'm a kid coming out of college with $50,000 worth of student loan debt sitting on my back, it's gonna be real hard for me to be happy about taking a $19 an hour job. Like I've got to hope that my parents aren't in a rush to kick me out of the basement. You know what I mean? Because I got a a pretty good hole I got to dig out of before I can even think about getting my own place. But uh, I, I guess I don't, at this point, it will change. I mean, it's always a pendulum and it swings one way or the other. And I think right now we're kind of at the apex on the left and slowly but surely it'll swing back the other way, but it could take another 10 to 15 years before it makes it all the way back the other side, you know, and, you know, new kids coming into these jobs now, you know, they're going to be over the hump and on the backside of their career with spouses and kids and mortgages and stuff by the time it corrects itself the damage will have already been done to them, just like it got done to us, you know? I mean...
1: Well, unfortunately, I don't... The situation that we're in right now with nursing and with paramedics and firefighters and police officers, I honestly don't see that improving unless something truly catastrophic happens because there's not the... There's not the respect for the positions. There's not the need... The public doesn't feel the need for these jobs the way that it used to. They don't have the ability to really understand what these jobs entail. Right. And honestly, I don't think that the majority of Americans care. No.
0: You know, no. The,
1: the average starting wage for a paramedic is $35,000 a year. Yeah. And that's for basically an associate's degree and and life-saving. And that's ridiculous. When I was a paramedic, I started at 10 10- dollars an hour that was it yeah and i was running cardiac arrests and car accident scenes before i was old enough to drink
0: my daughter the 15 year old going on 35 year old one she works at sonic she's not even old enough to cook or run the register so all she does is make all their fancy little shakes and teas and all those other things and they pay her at 15 years old Twelve dollars an hour to do that. So why on earth would I want to jump into a life and death gig for just a couple dollars more? That that doesn't make any sense to you know. I, you know, it's funny because when when I sit back and think, you know, I I I got hired in Detroit in April of '98, but I I applied in January of '97. So it took a little over a year to get all the way through the entire process. And Detroit's starting wage back then was twenty five thousand dollars a year. And even though that wasn't a lot of money, it was still somewhat livable. I mean you had to be careful. But uh, you know, they had step increases worked in the contract for the first couple years where you went up every six months instead of once a year. So and, and overtime overtime was easily accessible uh in the D back in those days. So you could you could supplement yourself. But um, you know, now like to think about taking a job, this kind of job for that kind of money. No, I I, uh, I think I'd rather be an electrician or a plumber, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, it's the amount of stress that this job puts on not only you, but your family. Oh, yeah. The missing holidays and, you know, you always have to worry about, and you guys are going through the same thing, but everybody hates you the stress from that you right. constantly have to worry about if you're going to be sued especially my line of work you make a medical error that could mean that somebody's going to die from it and that type of situation is not to be taken lightly
0: right. and
1: so we're we're having to still take on all the responsibilities that we had before but in the environment now where we're constantly being threatened and we're constantly being assaulted and screamed at and sworn at just for trying to do our job when we're running with half the staff that we should and we're all working overtime to try and make sure that patients are being cared for the best way that we can. And it's a losing battle, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you combine that with... And I'm sure, I I guess I just not had the time to really dig and, and try and research it, but I'm sure there's probably been some type of a study done by harvard or or something like that where they can really kind of give us a, a true indication of like the people in public safety who've been at it for let's say a decade or longer like you or i like i'd like to know okay uh just on average how much are we truly affected by ptsd you know because it, like, Significantly, like, uh, I'm sure it was the same way for you as it was for me. It, even in the, as far as the late '90s, you didn't show weakness. Like you just right. came to work and you did your thing. And I, I mean, I you know, God, I I went from <laughs> getting up at four o'clock in the morning and milking cows and baling hay to seeing a homicide victim shot in the street three days after I graduated the police academy. I mean, talk about a gigantic cultural shock, you know, and it's weird because very quickly, because in Detroit, I'm sure they do it totally different now, but back then they just tossed you in the car like sink or swim, pal. It's too busy. We, you know, this is just how it's going to go. So you learn really, really quickly and uh, you learn a lot of things over a very short amount of time. So it it's amazing when I think back to what I was like when I was 21 to now, how much different my arc of life is both personally and professionally because of those experiences
1: without a doubt
0: uh but i also think you know if i actually sat in front of a psychiatrist and really broke it down to that person i think they would almost look at me like jesus christ chet do you like your ptsd levels are off the charts like i don't even know how we can treat this you know how are you functioning
1: (laughs) and that's why the suicide rates for people in public service what they are because for the longest time you know mental health was something that was taboo and those of us that are in this line of work are supposed to be the helpers and the healers and you know how long can you take care of someone else constantly while putting your needs on the back burner before it finally catches up to you sure it's and not to mention you know the things that we see are not things that you can just forget about
0: no it's like I, I I forget who I was having this conversation with about six months ago. I, I wanna say yeah, it was one of the last comedy shows I did uh during the the kind of lull between regular COVID and Delta Covid. Uh and I was in uh, uh uh Indiana and I was talking with a guy from Chicago. We'd worked together a couple of times before, but somehow we got into he had ran into somebody else and oh yeah so and so said that you're a cop in real life and i'm like yeah i don't talk about that on stage because this is kind of my escape but uh so then of course that opens the floodgates for ten thousand questions you know how it goes you know of
1: course
0: what's the worst
1: thing you've ever seen (laughs) you really don't want to know
0: yeah yeah and uh you know he's like i just can't imagine i said well here's what you need to understand i said you know how like um in a uh you know uh like a friday the 13th movie or stuff like that you know there's all kinds of blood gore and guts and all that stuff he's like yeah yeah i said that's all makeup and liquid stuff that they squirt out of a little spray bottle and all that stuff he's like okay i said the stuff that i walk into that's real that's not like you know like i shouldn't know by just the smell in the air Ooh, he's bleeding bad because i can smell pennies you know uh i shouldn't know even while somebody's in the midst of taking their last breaths that I'm watching their skin turn yellow, I'm like, (gasps) lights are about to go out right there. I shouldn't, as a normal human being, know those things, but I do. I said, and those are the things that I know, and people that I work with know, that the rest of the general population doesn't understand. And if you guys had any true grasp on what it is that we do, you would look at what we do in a completely different light. But the media machine and the political machines all have too much money and too much power. So there's no way, even let's say every police union in the country banded together and pooled their money to launch some sort of uh, public relations campaign, they still wouldn't even have anywhere near enough money to be able to compete with the other side.
1: No. No.
0: The narrative would get smushed in a matter of minutes and uh, every union would be bankrupt and, you know, Fox and CNN and all the other places would just be like, yeah, that was just five minutes worth of advertising money for us, you know.
1: It's a drop in the bucket for them.
0: So it's, you know, like that's, like I said a minute ago, like when I go and do comedy, all, I mean, I've been as far south so far as Arkansas and you know, things were going really, really, really well till COVID hit, and then, <clears throat> you know, now it's, it's almost like I have to kind of restart. Not from scratch, but kind of, you know, um, and... Uh, but everywhere I go when I meet new, uh, like, comics that are at a higher level than me, oh, God, Jed, you need to talk about being a cop on stage. People would love that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do that at all. Maybe one day when I fully retire and I'm completely separate from it, that's fine. But right now, no. Because first of all, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know who's in the room or what their views are or are not. Exactly. Uh, Number two, I'm not interested in cutting the room in half. And probably the biggest reason, number three, this is what I do to escape that life. And I do not want those lives blending together. Right. So I keep them separate. You know, I have to have something outside of, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, got throw it right on the tip
1: Public of Public servant, hero.
0: No, no, actually, I was going to say <laughs> instead of being hyper vigilant all the time, you know, like when yes. you just can't turn it off no matter <clears throat> where you go. But, I mean, it's. <sighs> You know, I, I don't want to sit here and make it sound like police work has done nothing but negative things to me because that wouldn't be entirely true either. But I think when I, when it's all said and done, and I hang up that gun belt for the last time, I think if I sat down and actually thought about it, probably the negatives are going to out- outweigh the positives. I would think.
1: Same for me. You know, w- without even thinking twice. Same for me. Yeah. And I would. I would venture to say that the majority of us feel the same way. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes.
0: You know, and uh, it, it's funny, you know, because, you know, now I'm in a position where I look at the new guys coming in and they're all bright eyed No, oh, we're going to do this and that. And you just kind of sit over in the corner and be like, Oh, it's going to suck. It's going to suck so bad to watch him get crushed. <laughs> Cause in six yeah. months, he's going to realize that all the things that they sold him are not even remotely a possibility and. You know, it's, it
1: is. it's sad. Yeah, it's sad.
0: So not to totally shift gears, but I touched on it a minute ago, uh, the old uh, COVID-19 or 26 or whatever, <clears throat> they got connected to it now. <laughs> what was it like, like, because I guess I've never asked anybody this before, um, before everybody kind of really knew what it was. In your professional world, like, did people kind of know something was amiss, but necessarily couldn't put their finger on it? Or, like, how did it slowly develop to where... Because it was... I Like, I really honestly, quite honestly, I think I had it at the end of December, kind of like between Christmas and New Year's of 2019, before anybody really knew what it was. Because uh, there was about six days where... Like I was down, like nothing, because I don't really go to the doctor that much, shocking, I'm sure you're surprised by that, but uh, but nothing over the counter, uh, nothing, like even taking Advil PM just to try and sleep wasn't strong enough to keep me asleep, and I, like, I was struggle, I struggled to breathe a little bit, and, uh, you know, but I just kind of like waited out. I really didn't have much of a fever, but I just kind of waited out. And I'm like, okay, if this gets any worse, I guess I'm gonna have to do something about this. And slowly things got better. And then all of a sudden, March 2020, kaboom! The world just shut down. Like, I guess what I'm asking is, in in your medical world, was it? Like, did you guys kind of know maybe something wasn't right before the emergency switch got flipped?
1: So, actually, we, looking back, we thought that, just like you, a lot of us had gotten COVID in the late fall, early winter, because there were so many of us that were really sick, really sick. Like, I haven't been that sick in, a, in years, um, and we didn't really know a whole lot. We had heard, Oh, something's going on in China. We had one patient come in from Wuhan and that was my first, that was our first experience. I was working that day and we were terrified because we weren't sure yet what we were dealing with. And so, you know, we're all gowning up in the goggles and the gloves and, um, and then it just was kind of a trickle. And then all of a sudden I would say late mid to late February is when it exploded for us. And then by the end of March, the system was, our hospital was completely overwhelmed and still very much as we, I have to say that 20 years in the medical field, and I've never seen anything like that before. And it was frankly, scary for most of us not knowing what we were dealing with. And the majority of us have, families, obviously, and children at home. And so not sure if we were going to bring this home to our families and watching as the disease process, as we started to learn more about it and, and what it did to the body was something that I've never seen before. It's, you know, on one hand, it's fascinating to learn. We want to be able to learn and expand what we know about things. But then on the same, you know, on the other hand, it was scary.
0: Right. Um, And then, like, after, I guess you could say after it kind of got a little bit of traction, then it just kind of seemed to just take off like it was on steroids. uh, You know? It did. And now, because is it my understanding that everybody reacts differently to this? It's not like, uh, let's say... regular run-of-the-mill flu season that we go through every year where, yeah, people have different reactions, but the vast majority of symptoms and, and things that people suffer through are very similar when it comes to like the flu or the common cold or things like that. Where in this, you know, you had people who were chronically sick that were able to make it through, but then you had people that were ridiculously healthy and it just took them off their feet and took their life from them quick. So
1: I will say that the majority of people that I had that ended up intubated on a ventilator and ended up dying, almost every single one of them had some type of, we call it a comorbidity. So something else with their health, either they had high blood pressure or they were a smoker, they had asthma. I had very few people that I took care of that were completely healthy that got COVID that ended up very, very sick. That was very rare for us. Um, But you're right though, in that this was very different than the flu. A lot of people thought, oh, it's just another flu virus. It's not any different, but it was very different. And the the amount of things that could go wrong or that we did see go wrong within the body because of COVID was, was insane. It really is this is it's not influenza that's for sure so now
0: is this this variant delta or whatever they're calling it today um, is it I guess in your opinion you think it's at the same level as when the first wave washed through us, or it's different now
1: so at least in our hospital we're not having near the number of patients that are dying from it. So that first, last spring, it was, you know, when I was in the ER, obviously that's my home, but I got shifted to the ICU for close to two months because we had so many patients that were in the ICU that they needed help. So I got pulled to the ICU. So every patient that I had for close to six weeks, besides one or two died from COVID. Wow. which is nothing close to what we have right now. Um, and our, our hospital admission numbers right now are nowhere close to what they were last spring. So it's, it's difficult for those of us in the ER, at least where I work to hear on the news that they're sensationalizing the Delta variant. And you know, I, I'm not gonna pretend to know that much about it, but looking at our numbers, no we're nowhere close to what we were last spring
0: right
1: so and I'm happy about that very (laughs) as the rest of us are I know different parts of the country are getting hit you know it seems like it's just kind of made its way through the country
0: yeah
1: so hitting different spots like we got hit fairly early on so did New York um in texas and now it's just you know different parts of the country are getting hit hard now with what seems to be their first big wave so right
0: well i can't obviously speak for anybody else but i've kind of gotten to a point uh, i'm just tired of hearing about it you know it's it's so oversold i think uh, i think it's Partially the government, and I think it's partially the media doing an awful lot of fear mongering amongst the population. I don't know what the reason is to keep it so alive, uh, you know, other than distraction from other things that you know. Like I learned a long time ago, you know, if the government is uh, is making waves over here on the right, you got to look over to the left because they're obviously doing something over there they don't want you to know about. Like uh, you know, the yes. the, the I, I wonder. And I don't know if we'll ever find out, but I wonder that just the horrible, horrible shit show of an evacuation in Afghanistan. I mean, it was so it was like a third grader was planning that. So, but I often wonder, okay, because it was so bad and it attracted so much attention, what the hell were they doing over on the other side of the curtain that we don't know about? You know right. what I mean? Because it just monopolized so much attention
1: um and i i think that definitely you know covid for those of us that worked through it and had to care for patients like we know that it's a very serious issue obviously and like i said the the emotional toll that it took on all of us was huge yeah however i will say that there was a lot of us though that are of the same mindset that the amount of Publicity that they were giving it and scaring people was not something that was necessary. There's certain ways that you can approach things where people know how to take something to heart, but without terrifying. Yeah. You know, it's just. You know,
0: like public relations uh, 101, you know, a person can be rationalized with, but people are crazy. You know, you get a group of more than five or six people together. All you got to do is tell one of them on one end something. And by the time it gets to the other end, it's completely different than what the hell you just said five minutes ago. You know,
1: it's the game of telephone. We played as kids. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah.
0: And then you multiply that by 350 million people. And holy shit, there's five million different stories. Who just saw that coming? You know? Exactly. But it's like from my end of it, like I said, I'm tired of hearing about it. And I'm like, I know I probably sound like an idiot by saying this. But I'm like not afraid of it anymore. Uh, like I, uh, My one friend, Lou, uh, he's not in public safety. He he is in the commodities world. And he's still, oh, I still think it's this, and I still think it's that. And I'm like, you know what, Lou, it may be, and it may not. Okay, But you know that entire time that you were confined to your house and working at home? He's like, yeah. I said, I was still in and out of people's homes 5, 6, 10, 12 times a day, every day, during all of that. It's been in my life and sitting on my shoulder every day I go to work for almost two years now. Like, yep. okay, I'm done with this. You know, like, <laughs> you know, uh, if we were able to whip up a, 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 you know, a vaccine for it that quick, like, come on now, you know, but, uh, and not to go off on some sort of diatribe, but I still didn't get the vaccine either. I, I. <sighs> <laughs> this probably sound crazy. I work for the government, but I don't trust the government like that, you know, like a. okay, uh it's different for like uh smallpox or polio or something like that, but uh, I'm just not ready to let them uh stick something in my body just yet, like that, you know, so,
1: yeah, I guess it's um i I originally was resistant to get it, as were most of my coworkers and you know, it's difficult because that was, I ended up getting mine back in December and we had just hit our second big wave in the ER the end of November, right after Thanksgiving. So I, I knew that it was going to get to the point where it is now, where health systems are mandating their employees to have it. I knew it was just a matter of time. And so right. I figured I would get it early on to avoid that. <laughs> and I wasn't sure how quickly they if they were going to run out of vaccines for employees and things like that. So I, I got it early on, but that's the things that I can appreciate though, that everybody should have a choice to decide if they want it or not.
0: Sure. You know, my decision of not getting it, you know what, whether it's six months or five years or 25 years from now, it may come back to really bite me in the ass. I don't know, but it is just, I, I just could not convince myself over 50% that it was the best decision for me to make at this point. And I think had I been in a different position where I was working from home and not interacting with a whole lot of other people, I might have thought differently about it. But after going a year and a half of I mean, you know, uh, some nights maybe I interact with 10 people and other nights I might interact with two or 300 in a 12-hour swing. It just depends on where my night takes me. But over the course of a year and a half, I mean, that's... Uh, I'm a cop. That's why I, I, I don't do math well. But, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, it's just more than I can count on 10 fingers and 10 toes, but it's still a tremendous amount of people. And The one thing I have learned over being in the public safety sector, as long as I have, is uh, probably the strongest thing in my body, I think, is probably my immune system. Because of all the exposure to all of the things that, uh, that I've been exposed to, both having young kids carrying all that stuff home from school and being around it constantly at work. I remember when my kids were still younger, elementary school level, my buddy Craig and his wife, they don't have any kids. I'm still envious of them every day, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, they go on trips, they got fancy cars, all that bullshit that we don't have, you know what I mean? But they don't have the joy of having children in their lives. Yeah, whatever.
1: (laughs) They're
0: expensive. Uh, Yeah, about $300,000 a piece over 18 years, but whatever. But when the kids were younger, like Craig would come over in the wintertime and, you know, we we were scout car partners in D- in Detroit mm-hmm. together, so we had the same days off. So he'd come over and I'd be making dinner or whatever. And if one of the kids even just had the sniffles, sniffles, that would be enough. Three days later, that kid would be so sick. He could hardly get off the couch. And I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? He's like, some of your carriers gave me the friggin' cancer. <laughs> I'm like... Jesus, dude, wash your hands! Like, what is wrong right. with you? You know. <laughs> but so I, 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 I think that my immune system is probably the strongest thing in my body, and I don't know. I, I don't know if there's enough science to know. Do you ever develop enough antibodies to become resistant to it, or uh, uh, what's the other fancy little uh, uh, yeah immune? You know, do you eventually build up enough antibodies from enough exposure where you just are immune to it at this point? You know, I I don't know. And
1: I think we're still learning a lot about it. It's, you know, it's only been, it's less than two years. Um, And there are obviously different schools of thought. However, you know, from my end of things is that, all right, you get the flu shot and you can still get the flu. But we have certain vaccines say like smallpox and polio and things like that, that you get vaccines and have basically eradicated certain diseases right. that used to cripple entire nations. So, you know, it's, but like I said, that's one of those things that people have to decide if they want to get it. And if not, then unfortunately right now, there's repercussions for not choosing yeah. to get the vaccine. So
0: yeah, actually, I. I guess
1: it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out.
0: I want to say it was earlier today. I think I was drinking coffee and reading the the paper, and I can't remember if it, is it malaria. The World Health Organization has basically come out publicly and said that they've developed uh, immunization for. I think it's malaria. I think yeah. That's what it is. yeah. Yeah, I was
1: just reading about it earlier today, actually
0: yeah and i'm like okay so malaria has been around for i don't know since there was more than two humans and it's taken us this long to kind of knock that one down like what you know but i i mean everybody's also got their own suspicion as to what you know well where did this come from what this the china lab this that the other thing i you know I, i don't know what i believe or what i don't believe i think that all not even necessarily americans i think i think most people in the planet uh I think if they don't understand that something like what is happening to us isn't on like uh on pe- on par with what the military likes to call biological warfare, I think that they're really really naive to the kind of shit that that not only are but most every other first world country military is actively working on. But this is the kind of stuff that they're going to do to knock down the population, instead of just sending people door to door with shotguns, you know. So, I, I don't know. <laughs> Christ, I sound like I should be, you know, on some sort of right wing uh, TV show right now, wearing my red hat and Trump, Trump, Trump. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. Uh, pick one side it's, or the other I don't I, I'm one of those guys that think we're screwed no matter who the hell's in that job but
1: uh... yeah I don't disagree with that anymore <laughs> but I will say that it's it's interesting that amongst amongst everything that we've seen for the last year and a half with this and the conspiracy theories and people getting upset at people for not wanting to wear a mask or you're wearing gloves. So I'm going to unfriend you or the attacks on people because they choose to wear a mask or don't choose to wear a mask. There were all of us that were just trying to stay afloat and keep our patients alive and having to do what we could to comfort the family members that weren't allowed to visit their loved ones. And so it's just, when it comes down to it, for those For those of us that were in those jobs trying to care for those patients, that was what was important. And I think that people get so, like you said, the media sensationalized so many things that it's easy to forget sight of what's actually important.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: So, yes, you want everybody to stay safe, but when it comes down to it, there's no reason to disrespect somebody just because you disagree with what they're doing. Yeah. I don't understand that.
0: I don't know if it's because it, uh, you know, it generates ad sales or if it's clickbait or whatever other fancy term they got to, but somehow somebody's
1: making money off of it. I was just (laughs) going to say that's, that's really what, you know, the fact that, that Mr. Bezos and so many other people got filthy rich off all of this and the loss of life is nauseating. So, and you the the amount of nurses that had to deal with family members and give them updates over the phone and we were writing messages on whiteboards showing it out windows or facetiming patients on our personal phones so that they could tell their loved ones goodbye you know when it comes down to it i don't i don't really care about anything else but that
0: so. well there there was an instance <laughs> It was last summer, Um, probably about 8 or 8.30 at night. We got sent over to your job site because uh, you know how the ICU windows kind of face out to that parking lot, right? Yes. Yep. Well, there was a patient that was in there uh, and his wife of like 49 years was sitting in like a fold-up chair, right outside the window, bothering nobody, doing nothing. And uh, there was a guy at your job site that used to be in charge of the security detail that is no longer in charge over there, that seemed to get a real big B up his bonnet about the fact that she was there and it was getting ready to get dark. And I'm like, Okay, and you're looking for us to do what? Well, you know, I mean, uh, if we have to, we're going to trespass her from the property. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Like, okay, uh, that's the person she spent more time with than I have on this planet. If you think I'm going to go over there and tell her she has to leave, when tonight might be the last time she sees that person take a breath, I'll give you the boss's direct number right to his office, and you can complain about me in the morning, but I'm not doing that. Right. And he was, like, ready to raise hell about it. Well, listen, the other thing, and you know, I, I'm like, listen, pal, like, uh, how about we put that ego in check just for five minutes and let somebody have the last dignified opportunity they can have with the person they've spent their entire adult life with. Like, I think we can just let this go.
1: And And I, I, I think that COVID more than anything has shown us that nasty side of human kind and the complete, you know, it did, it did a lot of good things. It did do a lot of good things. However, as far as, you know, um, those of us in public service for the first time in quite some time felt like we were appreciated. That went away rather quickly. It was nice while it lasted. <laughs> However, I will say that the thing that it showed us the most is how selfish people are and how yeah. they don't think about what's happening with somebody else. As long as they're fine, that's all they care oh, about. Yeah. So mean, it's, it's unfortunate yeah. that it took that for us to realize but
0: just as something as insignificant as this made fucking selfish ass Americans hoard toilet paper and paper towels, like yes. the apocalypse was on
1: I don't understand.
0: Yeah, but all, understand. It, all it took was somebody on Fox News or CNN to go, "Oh, and the production is shut down, so pretty soon there's going to be limited supply on the shelf," and people went crazy.
1: And now they uh, have toilet paper to last till the next (laughs) pandemic.
0: (laughs) They're going to be giving it away to their kids. Like, isn't there some neighborhood trees you want to hit with this? Like, it's going to expire soon, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Part
1: of your inheritance is mom and dad's stash of toilet paper. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, and it's even like, you know, you know how it is in Michigan. Storm's coming. (gasps) Oh, my God. I got to go to the store and buy 25 cases of water and 15 loaves of bread (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. i mean and then the storm comes and there's like five snowflakes to fall and the salt trucks don't even come out like well at least we had it in case like come on
1: (laughs) as the bread is molding on the counter
0: yeah or or you see it just whipped out in the yard feeding the birds because they just wasted (laughs) their money with it you know very true like at least if you're going to hoard something hoard something you know like uh that i don't know Maybe hoard enough food where you can get your neighbors together and cook a giant meal, and actually engage your neighbors and talk to them instead of looking through the blinds. Oh, what do you think they're doing over there, Betty? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we should call the police on them. You know? I think. They're I still
1: that that blows my mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I you know you I mean I think you're you're uh, uh, I think you're younger than I am, but I'm sure you're still. Well, it might have been different for you because you, growing up in a military situation would have probably been a little different. But like when I was a young kid, not only did I know like uh, all around town, okay, this is Mr. and Mrs. Smith's house, or I knew it by people's names, or I knew it by uh, okay, that's uh, Timmy Johnson, that's in the grade below me, that's his house, or whatever. Like, everybody knew everybody. I mean, that's the benefit and the downfall of living, growing up in a small town. But you knew each other. You know, you weren't afraid to, like, you know, now, uh, you know, I mean, I see it all the time. You know, we we'll, we get called to people's house all the time. You know, you need to turn the music down. Who called? Well, the neighbor called. Well, all they had to do was knock on my door, and I would have turned it down. Okay, but people are afraid of their neighbors now because the TV they tells are. them they have to be. They are. You know, and it's... I, I wish that during the major shutdown of last year, it would have brought more people, like, at a community level a little bit closer. But it, it didn't. Like, everybody's afraid of everybody else. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you can live next door to somebody for five years now. And you don't even know what the hell their name is. You know?
1: And mm-hmm. uh, it even it did that to families. Yeah. Even, even still, I saw it. I went to a graduation party recently, and the one family member literally would not even let her loved ones get close to her. And, and it to me, it's mind-boggling. Like, what, what do you get out of that? Yeah. How is life even worth living at that point if you don't even have your loved ones close to you? What's the point?
0: Yeah. It, it's, you know, uh, I think out of all the different emotions that humans experience quite frankly i think fear has to be the most powerful one because mm-hmm. not not only can you self generate it but people can use it as a weapon against you at the same time
1: without a doubt
0: you know and we've
1: seen that the last 2 years
0: yeah yeah and it's i mean i i don't know that i believe Unless something went horribly wrong and they got everybody to buy in, I don't know that the government, whether it's at state or federal level, is going to convince Americans to go back into a lockdown again. I just don't. I think most people are like, yeah, go fuck yourself. I'm I'm doing this, you know.
1: I I think so. And, you know, just the economic toll that it's taken on our country alone, I think would be enough for people to say that. I don't think, I don't think that they would have the support of the American people again if it were to come to that.
0: No, no, and and it's, you know, let's see. So it's twenty twenty one, almost twenty twenty two. So, let's see. We're, probably right after Christmas, there'll be the midterm slash governor election season, so they're going to have to dial back up the fear-mongering right after the holidays again, so we'll have to see how that shit works out.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then shortly after that's over with, then they're going to have to, you know, uh, then they're going to have to dial it back up for the next presidential run, and that's even if the Donald chooses not to jump back into the foray, but I don't think his ego can handle him not jumping back in. So I can't wait to see what kind of a shit show that turns into in 2023, you know.
1: It's going to be a mess. Just our, our governor election is going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, and I don't necessarily pay attention close enough because I just don't have, like, I don't want to say I don't have the interest, but I get enough politics at work. Like, I, I, you know, when I'm at home, I'd rather do something First. different uh but i didn't necessarily have a problem with gretchen one way or the other I, I think that once she started locking things down i think she took it to a little bit of an unhealthy level <laughs> but uh, uh i think she's gonna have some real real problems on her hands uh because i, I think I she would agree with i think she pissed a lot of people off and uh, you know I, I you know james craig was obviously chief in detroit but he didn't come along till long after i was gone so i don't really know what he's like other than what his public image is you know i've got people i used to work with in detroit that love him to death and i got people i used to work with in detroit that hated his guts but you know the big boss usually isn't usually coming out on top on a prior on a popularity contest anyways but uh you know he stuck around in that job for a long time you know the average lifespan of a detroit police chief prior to james craig was you know sometimes as short as 18 months so wow he stuck around for a while but who knows uh you know if i was able to predict it i certainly wouldn't still be walking around in polyester jumpsuit sweating my ass off inside the damn car every day i'd be sitting on the beach with a drink with an umbrella and being like oh, i don't give a shit <laughs>
1: that sounds much better than going to work every day <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah the only thing i'd be worried about is oh are those clouds big enough to be a hurricane maybe i should go inside for a couple of days you know <laughs> Other than that, my biggest problem is going to be oh shit, I'm out of sunblock I guess my pasty white ass can't go outside today you know
1: <laughs> Very true
0: <laughs> Well listen, I thank you a tremendous amount for the opportunity to come on and and talk. Uh, I learned a whole lot about you today and uh, you know nothing
1: it, terribly interesting I'm telling you you know, you know
0: some of it was good a lot of it was kind of boring. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No it's it, oh, you know. I, I, I i it was a good time I, I had a good time maybe we'll have to try and do it again after you uh finish your your b s n and then you become a nursing instructor and you know that's if by getting on this podcast it'll launch you into world fame all by itself but
1: uh well, how yeah. then I won't go to work tomorrow. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I think you'll be okay for a couple of days. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for the wave to make it back to you. But uh, A
1: girl can hope. <laughs> Crush my dreams.
0: I'm not into the dream crushing business at all. <laughs> but, Fair enough. Uh, yeah, no, I hope you had a good time. I really enjoyed this. I learned a lot of stuff. And uh, I actually learned some stuff about COVID and, and hospital employment that I didn't understand myself. So thank There's you. There's lots to it. I really had a good time. Thank you very much.
1: You're quite welcome. All right.